0: The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network.
1: Hi everyone, Kimberly Fulker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Chat with your host, Barry Carellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Wrappers Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Wrappers Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck designs for Premiere. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products.
0: Hello and welcome back! Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Path to Chat, Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Two, 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 two-two! No, I am not talking tutus today. But yes, today I am obsessed with the number two. Welcome back to a very special episode of, Pod of Chat Talking Dance. I'm talking twos because it is my second anniversary as a host of this podcast here on the Premier Dance Network. Yay! <laughs> I've had the privilege of talking your ears off about all things dance for two years today to the exact date. I didn't realize this anniversary was happening until about five minutes before I started prepping for this episode but I am extremely happy that I figured it out. It's been such a thrilling opportunity to be a part of your lives, and none of it could have happened if you guys weren't hanging out with me every Friday ready to learn about our fascinating art form. So I wanna say thank you to Kimberly Falker, our CEO, and also the host of the Balancing Point Podcast, and just say thank you for taking me onto your team and making me a part of your network. I want to thank our sponsors, Angelo Lucio Body Wrappers, thank you for helping us keep these podcasts going. And lastly, mostly, thank you to all of you listeners for taking some time out of your your weeks and days and listening into these podcasts. I hope that we can keep this up for many years to come. Now, not to derail the excitement of the number two, but you know what's coming up next, my teaching schedule. My regular classes continue through at least September at Broadway Dance Center. I've got Tuesday Advanced Beginner Ballet at 10.30 a.m. I also have Thursday Intermediate Ballet, which I usually teach more at an Advanced Pro level, uh, at 4.30 p.m. Uh, on Fridays, I teach Advanced Beginner Ballet at 6 p.m. Um, and all of this is in the heart of Midtown Manhattan at Broadway Dance Center starting Friday April 20th beyond all of this I will uh, start to include a 7:30 p.m. basic ballet class uh, right after my Advanced Beginner Ballet class on Fridays. And of course, all at Robin Dance Center. And then starting on the 16th of June, I will begin teaching an Intermediate Advanced Pro Level Ballet class at 10.30 a.m. on Saturdays, which will immediately be followed by Intermediate Contemporary classes at noon for the entirety of the summer. So lots of options and levels and style, styles for y'all to work on your technique and and get in some dancing during the, the spring and the summer. Um, and I hope that if you're traveling through town, that you will stop by and you'll say, hey. All right. Now that we've got that stuff down and out of the way, let's get on with the second anniversary episode of Pa de Chat. It wasn't difficult when I began thinking of a special topic uh, of Our possibilities of a special topic, as the only obvious theme here, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, was to do something with the number two. <laughs> uh, it seems almost obvious that this week we should be chatting about the most famous part of any classical and many contemporary works, the pas de deux. So what exactly does pas de deux mean? Um, it's funny, actually, because this has come up a lot in my classes lately, because uh The way that I usually explain things at bar when you start your ballet class is that your first partner is not a a man or a woman. Your first partner is the bar. So you have to treat the bar as as if you're preparing to take a partner in class. So we've been talking about this in class lately, and it's been really amusing to see uh, some of my kids responses when I ask them what pas de deux means. Most of them just say partnering. Um, but in reality, yes, it is partnering. But in reality, um, it it means something else. Uh, if you think pas de chat, what does pas de Chat mean? Step of the cat. If you think pas de cheval, what does it mean? It's step of the horse. Um, so pas de deux, if you can decode that and you know a little French, it's step of two. So essentially it, it is partnering, but it means that uh, it, it's two stepping together all right so how does the pot de deux fit into a classical ballet um, really I mean if you think about it like the pinnacle of most classical ballet works is is the pas de deux. Um, you have all of these different scenes that happen in ballets, but the, the ones that are most famous, like the parts of the ballets that are most famous that, and the roles that people want to perform are usually involve uh, a pas de deux, like a central pas de deux that uh, made that ballet recognizable. Um, I mean, if you think about it, you have the balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet. You have the White Swan and Black Swan Pardede in in Swan Lake. You have Aurora's wedding in Sleeping Beauty. You have Kitri and Basilia's wedding in Don Quixote. um, There's Pardede in, in everything from like Corsair to La Bayadere and all of that. Um, so. Really, if you think about it, the, the leading dancers, the principal dancers, um, and I've talked about like how ranking works in a previous podcast, but the principal dancers usually get to, get to do the pot de deux. So it's usually the leading dancers doing these very, very exciting roles. Um, and they, they usually are a culmination of events in, in a certain act, um, now there are other pas de deux that are not just like straightforward pas de, pas de deux for the for the leads. And from now on in this, I'm probably just going to call it a pas because in in uh, the ballet world we just call call the pas. Like, oh, we're going to do the. Are you going to perform the pas? Yeah, I'll perform the pas. Um, so, or if you're going to take class, <laughs> your student, do, do you have pas de deux class? We said, do you have pas? So. I'm just going to say pa from now on, and hopefully you don't start 10 minutes in and, for, and miss this message. Um, but yeah, uh, now, it isn't always that the pas de deux is the pinnacle moment, the culmination of events in, in a ballet. There are other pas de deux that are less straightforward, and they aren't always for the leading dancers. Um, like, for instance, in, the, in Giselle, there is uh, a peasant pa. And depending on the version, it's performed by <laughs> different people for different reasons. Um, sometimes it's uh, performed that Giselle, where they want to get married to Albrecht, and this couple, they come in and they're in love and they perform a pas de deux and it makes her want to marry Albrecht even more, which makes the, the stress of when she finds out that he isn't who he says he is um, even more unbearable to the point that she actually suffers a truly broken heart. Her heart explodes. Um, there, There's also, if you look in different ballets like Le Corsaire, in the, the first act, there's uh, like a trio of the Odalisques perform uh, a pas de trois. They, they perform uh, because, I forget the name of this the slave owner, but he's trying to sell... Lankendam, is it him? It's the Sultan, or it's Lankendam. But they're they're trying to sell different (laughs) women to the the sultan that's it. yeah Lincoln is selling to the sultan so uh there's a pas De deux after the three atolisks that's that per, that perform with Galnari and with Lincoln where he tries to sell her off to to the sultan so um it isn't always that like i said that culmination moment or that that big moment where they fall in love or where they get to realize their love in, in a wedding um so, the, there are other types of pa that are performed, um, aside from those. Now, as, as we get more into contemporary works, it, it's very different. We don't really have a, a true structure of pa de deux in contemporary works. Um, we've kind of, We've kind of gone away from that. Now you can pretty much do a pot de deux just for the sake of doing a pot de deux, whether it's plotless or a story. But um, back in the days of classical ballet choreography, um, there was actually quite a quite a structure to the pot de deux. And that's what I'm going to talk about next. So... In in a classical pas de deux, and again, so it's almost always this way, but it isn't always this way because there there's just different v- varieties and variations of ways that that people have created these, um, and also if every ballet looked exactly the same, it, it might get a little boring. So, um, but the typical classical structure of, of of a grand pas de deux, and like I said before, this would be like Aurora's wedding in the third act. This would be like the Black Swan variation in the third act of. Uh, Swan Lake, this could be like, uh, in Capella, it could be the, the wedding in Capella. It's, there's, uh, different, they're, they're all over the place. But so the classical structure is the, typically the pas de deux lasts about eight to 12 minutes. And the first section is when the man and the woman dance together. Um, that's the real partnering section and we call that the adagio. So, uh, just like in class, if you've ever taken ballet class, we start at bar with plies, we go to tendu, jetes, rond de jambes, fondue. You might stretch and then adagio's next. So we, not that every class is that way, but that's a general structure. And in the adagio, the legs are held and extended in the air for long periods of time. It's really like a sustained exercise um, of leg strength and flexibility. Um, And if you notice, adagio isn't actually French. Adagio is Italian, and it really just tells you that the music is slow. But the the general idea in ballet is that adagio is extensions and balances. So in the pas de deux, what happens is the man and the woman, the classical pas de deux, the man and the woman dance together, um, and generally the man is behind the woman, and the woman is being supported in pirouettes, in jumps, in balances, and in extensions, whether it be to the front, to the side, to the back, devant, a la or an arabesque, and derriere. And this usually happens anywhere from, it could be four to, to eight minutes long. Um, like in, in Aurora's wedding, this is where they profess their love to each other. So it's sort of a, it's less storytelling than typical other sections of a ballet that might have mime, but this is, it's supposed to be an elongated version of something like that. So, okay, after the adagio they take a little bow and then uh, the gentleman usually leads the lady off stage and he stays on stage for a, a variation. And a variation is just another term for a solo. So the man does a solo it's usually between a minute and two minutes long um and this is where he performs all of his bravura steps so back in the pas de deux the man honestly we used to be told while I was training that it really is the job of the man to kind of disappear to present the woman and kind of disappear and support her so it looks like she's dancing alone in the pas de deux but then in his variation this is where he gets to take center stage so in the male variation, uh, like I said, the bravura steps come out. This is where you're, you're going to see big jumps. You're going to see double tours, big ter- air turns. You're going to see beats of the feet where the feet go back and forth. And uh, it's really the thighs, but we'll talk about those technical things in another podcast. Um, uh, lots of turns, whether it be uh, conventional turns, turns in combination, um, anything like that. So it's actually probably one of the most exciting parts of an entire ballet, usually the male variations. Because it's just a bunch of flash and uh, and fun. After that, the gentleman takes a bow. He runs off stage. He catches his breath, and while he's catching his breath, the lady, uh, the the female. Lead comes out, and she performs her variation again a solo um and just like the man, it's about a minute to two minutes long, and the woman often will perform uh she does jumps and turns as well, but the female variations are much uh more known for footwork because they're on point there's a lot more. They can do many more interesting things with their feet um, and the way that they use their point shoes. So that's the female variation. She bows, she runs off, she catches her breath for a moment. And then the final part of the classical structure of a pas de deux is the coda. And again, just like adagio, that is not a French term, it is... (laughs) a musical term. And, uh, in, in the coda and in, in the finale of the pas de deux, the man comes out and he'll do some more bravura steps, typically some big jumps and either, uh, a menage where he does, uh, to tombe, coupe jetés, splits, turning split jumps in a circle around the stage in layman's terms. Um, and he finishes and he welcomes the woman on stage. He might run off quickly or stay on stage. Um, and, this is where she does the famous 32 fuetes. So um, not everybody knows this, but in the coda, almost every coda of every grand pas de deux, um, the, the lady performs 32 fuetes. Fuete means to whip. Um, and it is, these are turns that consecutively continue. So she whips her leg around to pull herself around and then plies and whips her leg around. She continuously does this. And in an ideal classical ballet, she will do this 32 times. So if you want to go be the best of best of ballet snobs, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do it. Um, you will watch the, the coda. And when the woman starts doing her fuerte turns, um, the first one, she goes, turn, turn, turn. I count that as one. Um, and then from there, just count and two and three and four and see if she finishes 32 fuetes. Now, um, they don't always do this, especially today because now, uh, people are doing multiple turns instead of just single fuetes. So if they start doing singles and doubles and triples in there, um, They might not actually go down and up 32 times, but the rotations with their head, they'll probably accomplish more than 32. Um, Every once in a while, somebody will fall out of one um, and they do some other things. Uh, I know there was just the big to-do dance magazine and uh, Ballet Alert and people being unhappy with Misty Copeland. Um, They said that she fell out of her her fuete turns in Swan Lake in Singapore on tour. And somebody videoed it and people tore her apart online and Misty had a very, uh, she had a very smart and very uh, concise response to them that was, I thought, very respectful. Um, So you can go check out. Googled Misty Copeland Dance Magazine fuentes. If you want to read about that, but yeah, so they the so how it starts. The man dances. He might do his ton, his menage with the coupé jetés or barrel turns and or the alisacón turns, and uh, he he's finished. The woman comes on, does the thirty-two fuentes, and then they have a last very quick dance together, maybe anywhere from ten seconds to thirty seconds, and then they finish, and that's the end of the pas de deux. So. Um, There are many famous ballets, but those ballets would not be famous, in my opinion, if they didn't have these pas de deux. So that is how that works. Um, It's very different in uh, how it has evolved today. Um, The contemporary pas, pas de deux, I haven't really seen anything since, I guess... I I wasn't alive when this was created, but uh, I haven't really seen anything that follows the structure of a classical pas de deux um, since really Balanchine um, was probably one of the last ones to create a classical type pas de deux. And the woman doesn't even do the 32 fouettes, but the Tchaikovsky pas de deux. Um, But now we have uh, contemporary pas de deux and it's it's changed a lot because first off... um, it doesn't follow that structure where you have the, the pas de deux, the, the solos and then the coda. Usually it's just something infused into a work. Um, a lot of times it's, it depends if the ballet is plotless with no story or if it has a story. Um, if it's a story, it usually is relationship building. Um, it gives you an idea of how a relationship came to be or how a relationship fell apart. Um, but in the plotless stuff, it's often just about dancing, but, It's interesting because even in a a ballet that doesn't have a story, it's the idea of a pas de deux that you're interacting with somebody else on stage, and almost always it's 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 uh, sorry, it's almost always impossible to try to take away that aspect of some type of relationship between the two dancers that are doing the pas de deux. Even if you're just trying to like get some shapes across in a, a movement quality across, um, no matter what, if you put two human beings together on stage and you have them dance together, there almost always feels like there's going to be some type of romantic feeling to it. Um, or some type of falling apart of romance. Um, so there still is often a sense of relationship in a pot, contemporary pd de but it isn't always the intention of the choreographer to do that um, also today in in contemporary pds de um it's not proper to say that but i just did pas de because de is already plural um, but there are different types of relationships um in these, you would never see anybody in a classical pub to do, do anything uh, with the same sex. So it's always going to be a man and a woman dancing together. Uh, today there's, it's, it's changed a bit, uh, depending if it's on point, if the piece is on point or if it's on flat or if it's barefoot. Um, I know that modern dance was really the, the style that really started to cultivate different types of relationships dancing on stage. They would put two men together, um, two women together. It could be a gay, a gay, it could be just two men supporting one another. Um, like I said, it could be a lesbian relationship or they could try to make it not always centered around love or romance. Um, the other relationships that change, like it, it, a man could be partnered by the woman instead of the man partnering the woman. Um, so there's really been a lot of evolution today. I, I, I know that uh, the ballet world has been probably the furthest behind in uh, the evolution of of dance and relationships and dance. Um, but recently Justin Peck was one of the first choreographers to create a piece. I think it was in, what was the name of the piece? Times are running. Don't hold me to that, but I think it was called The Times Are Running, where he choreographed a, a duet together, and every time it's been performed, it's been performed differently. It's been two men, it's been two women, it's been a man and a woman. The man and the woman have changed the different, like one did the, the originally female part, one did the originally male, and then they switched. Um, so it is starting to happen more in ballet, but um, these are just different evolutions of how... How pouteda de has changed. Um, now, on a technical level, pouteda de has changed just because in classical ballet, this is a different conversation as well. Classical ballet versus contemporary work, um, that the technique is very different. The extensions are much higher. Uh, a lot of the partnering is very off balance. Um, Where in classical pouteda is de always about being on balance. Um, so yeah, there, there's been a lot of evolution, and I'll, I'll be really curious to see like how far we can go with this, and if there's a point where it just stops, <laughs> or if there is, if there are endless possibilities of where Podda de can go. Um, I mean, in my opinion, I think there's a certain point where it will have to stop because it will start to become Cirque du Soleil, which I love, but um, it'll start to become Circus, different things like that. Um, all right, so now that we've talked about these things, let's talk about how partnering is taught. So we've talked about what pas de deux means, how the pas de deux fits into a classical ballet. We've talked about uh, how the pas de deux has evolved today um, from classical to contemporary. Um, so let's talk about how it's taught. It's all twos right now. Pas de deux. Two. Second anniversary. Do you see the relationship here? <laughs> All right. So how is it taught? Um, when I teach pas de deux, if I'm with a group of kids, uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to make the kids really uncomfortable. I always have students stand a foot away from one another and stare into one another's eyes for 30 seconds nonstop. This is the very first exercise I give anybody who has never done a pas de class can be. As awkward as this can be, it is also an extremely effective technique in teaching, um, the students how to create a connection with one another. Um, it also forces them to break the ice because partnering is, I mean, it's kind of in the grand scheme of the world, like the way that people act out on like in the normal world versus the dance world, it is extremely intimate Um, and especially with like teenagers that are just starting to, like their bodies are starting to change. Maybe they're starting to, uh, have romantic and feelings towards people. Um, it can be really, really awkward, but you just have to get over that right away. So, um, now in, in partnering, obviously I'm not going to tell you like how to do the steps, but in partnering, um, let's, we're going to talk just classically again. So generally, uh, the job of the man is to make sure that the woman stays on her point shoe to say to make sure that she goes up in the air and looks light and uh, when she comes down that she doesn't get hurt because she 's dropping from such a high place so in order to keep a woman on her point shoe, you have to get her as we say you have to put her on her leg so if a woman is in a reture or an arabesque position where one leg is on the ground and one leg is off the ground, um, if she's up on point you can't just let go and she stays there. It's a balancing game. Um, and it's a lot easier for, for a man if, if, sorry, it's a lot easier for a woman if the man can help her stay on point. So what he has to do is he has to kind of feel the structure of her legs and he has to play around with putting her a little forward, a little back, a little side to side. Um, and when she's not on her balance, you, she's going to feel a bit heavier in your hands. Almost like if, uh, somebody's falling towards you and you're trying to push them back up to standing position. So your job as a man is to find that place as quickly as possible where the woman actually feels extremely light in your hands. So the lighter she is in your hands when she's balancing on one leg that the more unbalanced she is and the heavier that she is <laughs> means the more off balance she is and the more likely she she is going to fall off, fall off of points or the more uncomfortable she's going to be in the process um the hands typically we we put our hands on the woman's hips on her hip bones so You actually feel like for the bone and we 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 keep our hands nice and spread uh not you don't crunch your fingers, but long spread hands so that she, her, she can sort of just rest into your hands. Um, now balancing the woman in a turn, which is essentially keeping her in position, but then rotating her. Um, so it's the same thing as balancing where you want to keep her feeling light in your hands, but it's, it's just a a little different because, uh, and it also changes, based off of technique but classically the man generally puts his hands on her hips he, he helps her with a little bit of torque to get her around in the turn and then he just lets her turn from there the idea is you're not trying to interrupt her turn you're not trying to like paddle her around um in in the turn but you're trying to give her a little torque and then just hold the hands there in case she starts to fall so you can put her back on her leg. That's how it works in an ideal world. Um, There are a multitude of different types of turns that a woman can do from a a typical turn that you would do in class to a finger turn where she puts her middle finger or index finger above her head and the man cups it uh, and that allows her to turn multiple times uh, but looking like you're not really supporting her otherwise. Um, There's also something called a whip turn where you use both of her arms and leg to whip, get it? Um, And she can do multiple turns. So that's that's lots of fun. Um, But those are more advanced. Uh, The other main thing that you do in in pas de is that you you do lifting. So lifting is very interesting because um, it really can depend upon the relationship that you build with your partner like I was saying in the beginning of my my teaching just being able to stare into somebody's eyes takes effort um, in partnering generally uh, even if a woman weighs a little bit more she can actually feel lighter to a man than a very lithe, thin woman who doesn't have a connection with the man um, and this is because it's all about timing so if a woman knows how to when to jump, and then how to hold her body, uh, it can make it a lot easier to get the the woman in the air because really it's not a ton of lifting is sustained. Like you're lifting a a dead weight above your head, Um, like a barbell, picking up a barbell at the gym. Um, It's it's the idea that if she can help you get her up there and you can lock your elbows in place um, and say something like a press lift, you... It's easier to sustain up than it is to get up so usually where partnering falters in, in a positive de is when in, in lifting it's when the man isn't is isn't able to get the woman up and extend his elbows it's where he has to end up dead pressing her that's lots of fun um, generally depending on what type of lift you're doing the hands will be in different place and this is where it can also get very awkward um, dancers have very little boundaries when it comes to uh, where your hands are on people's bodies because in something like a press, if your hand, if the man's hand slips off of the woman's rib, it can slide up to her chest and touch her breasts. Um, and uh, I mean, the thing is it shouldn't be intentional that that's, that's not okay, but it happens constantly while you're partnering. Um, if you're doing something like a torch lift where your hand is underneath her rear end, um, your hand's going to be in places where (laughs) most other people wouldn't be putting their hands. um, there, you're sometimes performing these romantic pas de deux where your hands are caressing each other. So the, pas de deux, it's a very intimate experience. Um, and it's very different than, say, acting or uh, any anything else in the arts because it's so physical with one another um, that dancers tend to have really awkward boundaries with one another because we're so used to just touching each other regularly as a part of our job. Um, it's been interesting to... Here's some of the stuff that's come out with the Me Too movement. I talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast recently. Um, And I also uh, wrote an article for Dance Teacher Magazine talking about correcting students as a male teacher. Um, But it's, it's that it's, it's challenging being a dancer because you're so used to having your hands on each other in, in pas de deux. Um, and what it really comes down to is consent. So as long as, uh, you're being respectful to one another and you're working to work, um, then generally you'll be fine. But yeah, pas de deux, it's, it's a very, very, uh, interesting, <laughs> it's a very interesting thing. Um, and the fact that you do that as a part of your job, you get paid for it. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, the only other stuff that you really do in, in de is you, you dance linked together without knocking into one another, which can be very challenging. So coordination of one's dancing with the other, it can be very, uh, it can be very challenging. Thinking, think of it like, a uh, pairs ice skating, uh, jumping side by side, dancing side by side, somebody balance, falling off balance and you making sure that you don't fall off balance too. Um, it's, it's a very unique, unique uh, part of our our, our dance world. Um, I think I want to end this this second anniversary podcast with just uh, giving you an idea of a couple of my favorite pas de deux. Um, and I always tell my students to do this, so I'm going to tell you to do it as well. Um, if you haven't seen these, I, I really strongly suggest that you. If you don't have a local company that that is performing any of these works in the next year or so, um, go on YouTube because a lot of these, well, maybe not in full, um, you'll be able to see get an idea of what these these potted are. So. Uh, my favorite pas de deux of all time is, actually there are two that, from this one, but it's in the middle, somewhat elevated by uh, William Forsythe. And this is a contemporary, uh, at the time maybe considered neoclassical bridging on contemporary ballet, um, but this is a, a contemporary ballet work. And um, my favorite one is, there's one in the middle of it where the the couple runs on stage and the woman flies in the air and it looks like an open of Um, that's my favorite one. Um, but also the famous one in the end of the ballet with Sylvie Guillem. Uh, that's a good one. And for me, this, this wasn't one of the most important things I've ever seen in my life because I thought that classical ballet was always tutus, um, tiaras and the guy just partnering the woman on balance. But uh, when I was 15, my teacher took me to the Stars of the 21st Century Gala. Um, And it was the first time that I had ever seen that ballet could be more than just that, the tutus and tiaras. So um, that was actually the ballet that made me change my my career path because I wanted to do jazz and musical theater. Um, So I have William Forsyth and In the Middle somewhat elevated to thank for that. Um, I also love the Don Quixote uh, third act wedding pas de deux. Um, it's flashy. It's got amazing tricks. It's got personality. Um, and I got to perform this at my my graduation with the Kirov Academy of Ballet. Uh, my partner was Melissa Hogue. She's now principal with uh, Norwegian National Ballet. Um, and it just has a very special place in my heart. I, I even got to perform this pas de deux at uh, the the Arabesque Festival with First State Ballet Theater back in the early 2000s in Wilmington, Delaware. So that one's a, a, a great one. I really like the Rubies Potted de from uh, Balanchine's Jewels. It's fun, it's energetic, it's got lots of movement and drama. Um, this one doesn't follow the classical structure. But it it's just it's a goodie. So if you have a chance, check that out. I also love the in the subsequent act of jewels, uh, George Balanchine's jewels. I love the diamonds pas de. Deux. It's gorgeous. It's lush. Again, it's dramatic, and it's just classic. It's a really really long pas de, deux, but it's uh, it doesn't follow the classical structure either. Um, also high up on my list of Pas de Deux is the cor- le, Les Corsaires Pas de Deux. And if you look online, it actually might be listed as the Les Corsaires Pas de Trois. It's from the second act. Um, in galas, typically it's performed as a Pas de Deux with Ali the Slave and Medora. Um, but in the ballet, it's actually performed as a, a Pas de Trois. It's, the, it's Medora. It's one of the, the pirates, his... his uh, he falls in love with her and then Ali is his slave. So the three of them dance together. Um, but, uh, it's, it's the first pas de deux that I ever learned. So, I mean, how can that not hold a special place in your heart? Um, and then lastly, I'd suggest you watch the Tchaikovsky pas de deux, Balanchine's Tchaikovsky pas de deux. We, we actually did that a lot when I did lecture demonstrations for the School of American Ballet. Um, and it's, it's really dancey. I mean, I mentioned a couple of Balanchine in there and I mentioned a couple of classical and I think, yeah one, one Forsyth one. Um, but Balanchine, his choreography is so dancey. There's not a lot of stories in his ballet, ballets. So the focus is truly on dancing. And I mean, as a dancer, don't you want to be dancing? <laughs> so it like, you, you don't, feel, you don't feel overwhelmed by, uh, a story you get to ju- that you have to tell in the process of dancing you get to just do the dancing which i think is ideal so there we are with my second anniversary podcast or pod chat on pad de deux. All about twos. So uh, again, I just want to say thank you guys so much for for being my, my faithful listeners. And it's been so great to spend the last two years sharing my love and joy and knowledge and experience in the dance world. Um, and I I hope that you, you enjoy it as well. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to share, uh, of course you can always reach out to me on my website, which I will mention, uh, to you in a few seconds, but I just, I just want to say thank you for listening and allowing me to have a voice in this often silent dance world, uh, for the past two years. I hope that we get many, many more years together. Um, and if there are, uh, I'm curious if, if there's anything that you feel that you've really loved hearing me talk about in the past few years, please let me know. And if there's anything you feel like I've really missed out on talking about, uh, let me know as well. Cause I want to make sure that we, we have content in here that all of you guys really want to, to partake in and listen to and, uh, interact with. All right. So with that, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycrollis.com. Again, that's ww.baro-l-i-s.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B Corollas, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. Life of a Freelance Dancer is currently archived, and on there, I wrote for five years about working as a freelance artist. And I also have my new blog, Dancing Off Stage, which can be found at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on there, I offer information about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. Lastly, I have a YouTube channel that features my choreography if you're interested in seeing my work or commissioning me for work. Um, And you can find that on YouTube youtube just by going to the search bar and putting in b Corollis" and finding my channel there thanks for listening in to pot chat for two years now <laughs> i hope you return next friday to talk dance with me and remember to go out and support your local dance scene